0: There. Don't you feel better? You'll also feel better knowing you could save when you bundle home and auto with Progressive.
1: <laughs> Although I'm sure you'd
0: have a funnier way to say that. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. The Leslie Marshall Show. The only true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at lesliemarshallshow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888 6 Leslie.
1: Answer free. Happy Friday. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome. Welcome back. Only true democracy and talk. So today we have a great show. We hopefully have a great show for you all the time. Uh, Coming up, we have a great guest joining us in uh, light of this being uh, Black History Month. And um, we will uh, talk with him. But right now, let's do a little thing we like to do at the top of the show. Kick it off by checking what's ripped. A lot going on this week, right? At 5.34 a.m. this morning, The Senate voted 51 to 50 to advance the budget resolution that will be used to facilitate passage of President Biden's $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief proposal, and this was done with Vice President Harris acting as the tiebreaker in that tiebreaking vote for the first time. Sorry, my cell phone went off and it's spam. I'm I'm getting spammed to death here. Um, Why does this matter? Passing the relief package via the budget budget reconciliation process allows Democrats to sidestep that 60-vote threshold needed to approve most major legislation. And by the way, it didn't have to be this way, as they say. Republicans could have worked to uh, you uh, have a bipartisan bill here, could have worked in unity. But there are sometimes, just like with the Affordable Care Act, for Democrats in the Obama administration, or With the tax package during the Trump administration, where a party feels that their legislation is so important and when they have the majority, that they not only can do this, but they must, especially right now because we have a pandemic. Now, the resolution will go back to the House for final approval, at which point the committees will be allowed to begin writing the bill. Final passage came after 15 hours of debates on the amendments proposed by senators. And a month ago today, two senators from Georgia, two Democratic senators, were elected. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Democrat of New York, said in a speech on the Senate floor following passage of the resolution, quote, in just a month from that day, we have taken a giant step to begin to fulfill our promise to the American people that a Democratic Senate, a Democratic House and President Biden will have their back and move them forward during this awful crisis. Just to be clear, if you have the majority, the majority of people wanted what you were proposing more than the other side, it wasn't just about not having Donald Trump. One of the reasons people didn't want Donald Trump is they didn't want the policies the man had put forth over the past four years either. Let's rip another. Speaking of presidents, President Biden today said there's nothing more important than getting us the resources that we need uh, to vaccinate Americans. Listen.
2: Here's what's in that plan. First, it puts $160 billion into our national COVID-19 strategy which includes more money for manufacturing, distribution, and setting up of vaccine sites, everything that's needed to get the vaccines into people's arms. There's simply nothing more important than us getting the resources we need to vaccinate the people in this country as soon as quickly as possible. So job number one of the American Rescue Plan is vaccines. Vaccines. The second. The American Rescue Plan is going to keep the commitment of $2,000 — $600 has already gone out — $1,400 checks to people who need it. This is money directly in people's pockets. They need it. We need to target that money so folks making $300,000 don't get any windfall. But if you're a two — uh, uh, if you're a family that's a two- uh, — wage earner, each of the parents, one making 30 grand, one making 40 or 50. Well, yeah, they need the money and they're going to get it. And here's what I won't do. I'm not cutting the size of the checks. They're going to be $1,400, period. That's what the American people were promised.
1: Absolutely. More from President Biden today, uh, talking about um, how he would like this COVID-19 stimulus to have supportive Republicans They're just not willing to meet him. It's not halfway, he can't meet halfway. He needs them really to come all the way and they don't wanna go as far as he feels that we as a nation need to go on this. Take a listen.
2: I know some in Congress think we've already done enough to deal with the crisis in the country. Others think that things are getting better and we can afford to sit back, neither do little or do nothing at all. That's not what I see. I see enormous pain in this country. A lot of folks out of work. A lot of folks going hungry, staring at the ceiling tonight, wondering, what am I going to do tomorrow? A lot of folks trying to figure out how to keep their jobs and take care of their children. A lot of folks reaching the breaking point. Suicides are up. Mental health needs are increasing. Violence against women and children is increasing. A lot of folks are losing hope. And I believe the American people are looking right now to their government for help, to do our job, to not let them down. So I'm going to act, and I'm going to act fast. I'd like to be — I'd like to be doing it with the support of Republicans. I've met with Republicans. There's some really fine people who want to get something done, but they're just not willing to go as far as I think we have to go. I've told both Republicans and Democrats that's my preference to work together. But if I have to choose between getting help right now to Americans who are hurting so badly and getting bogged down in a monthly negotiation or compromising on a bill that's up to the crisis, that's an easy choice. I'm going to help the American people who are hurting now.
1: Yes, that was President Joe Biden. The American people are hurting now. They're not only hurting now, and they not only voted for him to be president. And now people say, well, over 70 million people voted not. Well, looking at the polls, majority of Americans actually support this $1.9 trillion COVID relief package. Uh, nearly ten, seven in 10 Americans uh, in a Quinnipiac University poll released uh, two days ago said they support President Biden's $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief plan. That's 37% of Republicans, over a third of Republicans polled, said they backed the president's plan. And that comes after the GOP attempted to negotiate, but they negotiated the price tag of the relief down to just over $600 billion. That's less than a third of what's being proposed, and that would be lower direct payments to we the American people. Now, 64% of Americans polled by Quinnipiac uh, said they actually support Biden's 1400 direct, uh, $1, um, direct stimulus payments, $1,400 direct stimulus payments. That's more than the GOP wants to uh, spend. Um, So 37% (laughs) back the plan, 64% back the 1400. And don't they realize you don't get the 1400 if you don't get the plan. Uh, Millions of Americans are unemployed, as the president said. They're behind on rent. They don't have enough to eat. Uh, People of color, especially in black and Latino families, uh, face higher rates of household hunger. And that's according to the uh, Center on Budget and Policy Priorities. Let's rip another. The last economic, major economic data point of the Trump era is out. Let's take a look. The economy ended the Trump years with an unemployment rate of 6.3%. Now, that is a lot lower than the pandemic-induced high point, which was 14.8% in April. It's still well above the 4.7% unemployment rate that was left behind by former President Barack Obama. Now, former President Trump inherited a flourishing labor market. He's handing President Biden one that has a ways to go before recovering from an unprecedented shock. And when you look at the numbers, uh, when Trump took office, the economy had 145.6 million jobs. The legacy he leaves Joe Biden is measured during the week of January 11th. Three million fewer jobs and a labor force of 160 million people. That's 4.5 million people smaller uh, than it was uh, four years ago. Now, unemployment, let's take a flashback. Unemployment—it's a 50-year low. While Trump was in office, jobless rates for Blacks, Hispanics, and Asians also hit record lows. Yes, but the strong labor market was not robust enough to survive the combination of a pandemic and a weak federal response. The number of jobs in the U.S. fell by more than 20 million in April alone, and adds uh, of January uh, and as of excuse me, January remain about 10 million jobs below the all-time high. At January's pace, 49,000 jobs per month being created, it would take 200 months. That's almost seven years to regain the level that we saw just a year ago. Unemployment could fall to 5% by year end if Biden's $1.9 trillion relief package passes. And that's why they they had they had they had to go nuclear if you will right that that's why President Biden says we got to do this because he knows that unemployment rate can get there by year end and that's not according to Biden that's according to economists at S and P Global who predicted that just this week even without it by the way the CBO the Congressional Budget Office says the jobless rate will drop to five point three percent by the fourth quarter of twenty twenty one it will be another three years before all the jobs lost are fully recovered. So this stimulus stimulates those numbers to come around quicker. And that's helpful to every American, every American business in the American economy. Bottom line here is more than a million Americans have filed for unemployment in each of the past 46 weeks. And we're still very much in the middle of a jobs crisis. We're going to take a break. We'll come back with more from me, Leslie Marshall, with what's ripped from the headlines right after this. Don't go away.
0: If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash lesliemarshall and we'll be sure to share your tweets.
1: We are back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome. Welcome back. And we continue with what is ripped on the headlines. Well, I, uh, I the House voted uh, just yesterday 230 to 199 to remove Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, Republican from Georgia, from her committee assignments over her past endorsement of baseless conspiracy theories and violent rhetoric against Democrats. Well, it is a drastic step, but it comes after Republican leadership declined to take action in their own party against this woman. This congresswoman is extremely controversial. That prompted Democrats to take the matter into their own hands. And 11 Republicans did join the 219 Democrats in voting to remove Greene from the education and budget uh, committees. Here are the Republicans who voted to strip her of those committees' assignments. Representative Adam Kinzinger, Representative Brian Fitzpatrick. Representative Nicole Maliotakis, Representative John Katko, Representative Chris Jacobs. Oh, by the way, I'm sorry. Uh, Kinsinger, Illinois, Fitzpatrick, Pennsylvania, Malliotakis, New York, John Katko, New York, Chris Jacobs, New York, Carlos uh, Jimenez, Florida, Young Kim, California, Maria Elvira Salazar, Florida, Chris Smith, New Jersey, Fred Upton, Michigan, and Mario Diaz-Balart, Florida. Now, past social media posts show her expressing support for QAnon, conspiracy theory suggesting that school shootings in Parkland and Newtown were false flags, operations to crack down on the Second Amendment. She also accused top Democrats like House Speaker Nancy Pelosi of treason and liked comments calling for her to be executed. Let me be clear to have a bullet put in her head. Okay, that that was the exact quote that she liked to put a bullet in the speaker's head. She herself, by the way, a lot of people forget if you go back far enough, talked about hang them in reference to former President Barack Obama, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. She not only said that Parkland and Sandy Hook and the Las Vegas uh, killings were all false flags and that 9-11 didn't uh, happen, um, uh, she has not apologized. You know, but you know, clearly saying one thing when the camera's rolling and the the microphones on, versus another when she's standing in the house, and like in the house, she'll act like she's being conciliatory, and then she tweets hours later and calling Democrats or Republicans who voted, as I just mentioned, to strip her of these committees morons. By the way, parents and family members of those from nine eleven. Um, from uh, from the Vegas uh, massacre, Parkland uh, massacre, Sandy Hook massacre, have all pleaded whether the Democrat or Republican, and whether the representatives are Democrats or Republicans, not to have her making decisions for our children. And furthermore, she harassed uh, David Hogg, um, one of the survivors of, Park- of Parkland um physically harassed i mean verbally harassed him in person walking behind him on more than one occasion and this isn't like you know my, my you know this isn't something i'm pulling out of my fanny here i'm making up folks there's video of this there is video of this um and yesterday just before the vote she acknowledged on the house floor the school shootings are absolutely real by the way she allegedly was a victim of one and 9 11 absolutely happened But she argued the media has taken her words out of context and she will never and never campaigned on QAnon of conspiracies, concluding, will we allow the media, which is just as guilty as QAnon as at presenting truth and lies to divide us? There are members from QAnon that have been indicted by federal law enforcement officials for the insurrection and and the violence that took place at our nation's capital. We I am part of the media. The media is not responsible for that to me. She was not apologizing. She didn't, as I always say to my kids, own it. When you screw up, and I do, I, I, I try. I'm not. I'm not perfect, but I try. If I screw up, I got. You got to own it. If you don't own it and say, "Yes, but I did it," but the other person did this. Oh, yes, I I did it, but yes, I said that, but okay. And I know this recording is going to come back to haunt me, right? But no, you got to own it. Yes, people can change. Yes, people can a- a have a change of heart. But she owes an apology to David Hogg. She owes an apology to Parkland family members, Sandy Hook family members, Vegas family members, 9-11 family members, Nancy Pelosi, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, and the FBI, who she also liked a post about executing FBI members. Many GOP lawmakers, by the way, were frustrated. Uh, That House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. And, And can I just say another thing? This woman, her comments... And her clearly wanting to become famous and have fifteen seconds, minutes, hours, months, days, whatever of fame, I think are, are very clear. She makes me feel something I don't like to feel as a human being. And that borders hate. I, I don't like that feeling. Hate to me should be reserved for you know people like Adolf Hitler, Saddam Hussein, you know, Paul Pot. I mean, but she makes me feel that way sometimes, or I allow myself from her comments to feel that way sometimes. She's made anti-Semitic remarks, Islamophobic remarks, uh, racial uh, racially insensitive remarks, or liked and 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 uh, not condemned, but rather condoned them by others. Um, I, I, I have a, I don't like feeling that way. Do you know what I mean? I don't like, I don't like feeling that way. I think a lot of us felt that way the past four years and we don't want to feel this way going forward. Our elected officials, I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican, should not be calling others morons as she did today, um, stop. Stop the rhetoric. Stop. I mean, I know people that are husbands and wives, a Democrat and Republican, they sleep in the same bed. They, they have sex together. They have children together. They love each other. They don't agree politically. That is possible. Our leaders need to lead by example. Our leaders need to set an example, not just for other nations to look at, for our nation to look at, for our children to look up to and to emulate and desire perhaps to be, aspire to be. And I'm sorry, but that, that's what bothers me. The people of Georgia absolutely have their vote, but they did not vote for her to be on these committees and for her to be making decisions with no experience, by the way. And, you know, She's newbie. Um, I really don't like when they have newbies assigned to all these committees, because to me, you need a little experience sometimes to be on these committees, especially depending on what committee. But you can't have somebody who's been so horrific, in my opinion, toward children uh, making decisions uh, for children. And uh, the people of Georgia did not elect her to be on those committees. They elected her. As a congressional member, that doesn't change with the vote yesterday. Now, many GOP lawmakers were frustrated that House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, Republican of California, was unable to reach an agreement with Democratic leadership. And that's what forced them to cast this vote. It was not an easy vote. It was difficult. Some believe it sets a dangerous precedent in which a majority party can target a minority lawmaker for comments. And we know Republicans will do it because they're a very tit-for-tat party. They really are. Um, uh, they, they And uh, McCarthy condemned the move in a statement as a partisan power grab. Well, so, same could be argued When you won't, you know, when you won't have uh, confirmation hearings from Merrick Garland, but you'll push Amy Coney Barrett through, please. Uh, Pelosi told reporters yesterday, quote, if anybody starts threatening the lives of members of Congress on the Democratic side, we'd be the first to eliminate them from committees. Republicans had the opportunity to do so. Uh, By the way, she never apologized to Congresswoman Cori Bush, who she allegedly berated in the halls of Congress. And uh, this is what Representative Nicole Malliotakis, one of the Republicans of the 11 that voted with Democrats, said. As Americans, we must hold ourselves to a higher standard and who fully condemn such comments, regardless of which side. Uh, uh, of the aisle they come from. The bottom line, she's received Green strong support from former President Trump. She'll continue fundraising off of Democratic attempts to condemn her. And the controversy over her stripping of committee assignments has shown a light on the divisions in the GOP. One further thing. Media, stop covering every time she opens her mouth. Stop giving her the spotlight. It's what she wants. We didn't we learn anything from the past four years. I'm Leslie Marshall, back after this.
0: If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com.
1: Uh, We just finished a rip from the headlines, and uh, now I want to bring in our guest. Our guest is Atiba Mudyun. Atiba is the president and CEO of the Mudyun Group. They are a government relations firm. They're based out of our nation's capital in D.C., as well as party politics, U.S. a data collection firm that not only gathers from American voters but also engages with young people to educate them on public policy. Atiba is the former division director of the National Black Caucus of Purchase uh, of state legislators, as well as the author of the novel *Saving Grace*. You can buy it on Amazon in paperback or on Kindle. Atiba will be featured on Comcast uh, Wednesday, February tenth, for Black History Month on the Black Family. His website is Atiba Madyun Dot com. Let me spell that: a t i b a m a d y u n dot com. On Twitter at atiba madyun, same spelling. Please follow him there. Uh, atiba, thank you for joining us. Welcome. Good afternoon. More than a pleasure to have you with
3: us. And thank you very much for that introduction. It's nice to be with you.
1: And nice to have you with us. Um, I have to say uh, that um, a Representative um, uh, a re- Representative Hakim uh, Hakim said uh, the other day. Uh, Hey, every day is Black History Month. We've been here a long time. <laughs> I, <laughs> thought, I thought it was, I thought it was cute, but I think it's important that we have, a, a, even though you know I am a white chick, obviously. And we, ha- I think it's important that we have a, a month for people to realize many things that a lot of us weren't taught about in schools. Um, that we hopefully will have our children taught about now and going uh, forward. Um, but when we look, especially, uh, this month, as to why it is so important to talk about and focus on Black History Month. During this pandemic, it is just unprecedented uh, the disproportionate um, impact, um, specifically uh, on families of color and even more so on Black families, African-American families uh, affected by the pandemic with rates of COVID, affected by the pandemic not being vaccinated at the rates of whites and affected by the pandemic with regard to unemployment Um, And a lot of, uh, you know, people of color are essential workers. Um, And, you know, this this pandemic has impacted black families. Um, Like, you know, we talk about the number of essential workers who are black and, um, you know, just so many areas. So first, before we talk about an area I really, really am passionate about, believe it or not, which is um, fatherhood within the African-American community. Um, let's talk more broadly about the impact this pandemic has had on Black families, in light of this being Black History Month.
3: Sure. Yeah. It, you know, it, it, this is one of the areas I actually work on. Um, so I do a lot of work with health disparities and working with um, pharma companies, and a lot of because of what happened in last June with George Floyd has changed and shifted a lot of people's focus in terms of equity, diversity, and inclusion. But also with what we saw started happening. I think we went into quarantine here in DC and on March the 14th of 2020, we are seeing a disproportionate number of African Americans and Hispanic Americans, Native Americans, other communities of color being impacted by this pandemic. I mean, even like today, my my uh, niece, who is also my goddaughter, um, ha- was taken from school in Atlanta because one of her classmates just tested positive for COVID. You know, so you know, when for instance here in D.C., I've been very vocal about the fact that I don't like the fact that. Uh, our mayor wants to op- reopen DC schools. I think that honestly, the op- reopening the schools is really a veiled thing to say we want to put people back in um, in in offices and working when we still have not get, um, get, been able to get people vaccinated. So when we look at all these things that are going on systemically with the virus and how it's impacting the Black family, it's I mean I think it's something it's like three point three times more likely that a Black person would end up having to go to a hospital if they're diagnosed with with COVID. I think it's 2.7 or something like that um, for the Hispanic community. You know, these things are really um, ripping and taking a Band-Aid off of a broken bone. I've been working on health disparities for almost 20 years, back to when I was working for the National Black Caucus, a state legislator. So a lot of these things we've been talking about, that were systemically wrong with the healthcare system. They are really exposed right now, and so we have to take these opportunities to talk about them. And so I really appreciate the fact that you brought that up for us to start this program.
1: Uh, uh, it's it's important. It's it's essential that people know the truth. Um, I, I want to talk about something that a lot of people don't know the truth about because it's not a lead. You know, in any kind of a newscast on television, or you know, you're not going to see it online. Uh, you got to dig a bit further, and that is more specifically, as I mentioned, the pandemic's impact on Black fathers. Can you speak to that?
3: Um, and I, I guess I'm, in terms of what the, what do you mean in terms of how it's it's its impact on Black fathers.
1: Well, you know, in, uh, you know, a lot lot of people have uh, judgments that are wrong, obviously, on fathers or fatherlessness within the African-American community. Uh, But the impact on a community that is before the pandemic um, already already disproportionately impacted economically, whether it's because, you know, you don't get that business loan, that housing loan, whether because some of the children in uh, certain areas of this country, in certain school districts, who are in the black community, don't have the same type of education in the public school system. I mean, like you know, so, somebody in South Central is not getting the, in Los Angeles, not getting the same education as an individual in Beverly Hills, and they're both in the LA Unified School District, so, right? So, um, so, so th- that's what I was referring.
3: To. So let's so so let's take it back. You know, we talked about you know this is Black History Month, as Con- Congressman Jeffrey said. Every day is black history. We've been here a long time. Um, the reality is uh, African-American men, um, there's so many different things systemically that have been placed on us that have caused uh, black men to be ripped away from their families because they got into trouble and they go, go to jail for um, offenses. You know, I guess a lot of times people think about drug offenses, but when you think about what how black men are charged when they go to prison, they're overcharged when you think about the killings, when you think, and so there, there's that. But then the other aspect of it is, and I'll just use an example of um, my brother-in-law who passed away a few years ago. Um, he had a stroke, 24 years old. My, uh, at the time he and my sister had a 10 and a half month old child. Um, and when he was taken to the hospital, he, he collapsed in my, in my parents' home. He was, had recently been di- uh, diagnosed as diabetic He and my sister had been in a car accident. Something happened that caused his blood to clot, which caused the, um, the clot got lodged in his neck and the oxygen got cut off to his brain. So when my sister called the ambulance, takes him to the hospital, the doctors asked, was he a drug addict? No. Was he an alcoholic? No. Then it was, they started testing him for Lyme disease and other things. It took three days before they gave him a CAT scan and an MRI to determine the fact that this stroke had sprayed across his brain had they diagnosed him or had they done these things before when he first got to the hospital he would have had a different outcome but instead for the next 10 years Lawrence was incapacitated he wasn't able to walk talk or eat on his own but that was because of the way that the healthcare system treated him when he came to the hospital this is just one story I have another story of a mentor who went to the hospital who is a senior VP for major um company when he went to the doctor he was complaining of headaches the 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 doctor saw him they said oh well here here's some medications they wanted to send him home there was a black nurse that came in and said no wait she looked at his chart she said no i'm going to make sure that you get more tests because if you were a white male who came in here they would have done all these things and i'm going to make sure you get all those things do you know that by the time they did all those tests, by that evening, they determined that they had to admit him and take him into emergency surgery. That is what saved his life. Had he gone home, the doctors recognized and realized afterwards that he would have died. His brain would have hemorrhaged and he would have died. These are the type of things that we face every single day going to the hospital. These are the things that we're facing every day when we go into the hospitals now with COVID being turned away. You know, so. You know it's the way that we're looked at so when you ask the question about how this is affecting us as african americans or affecting fathers you know you have to kind of keep looking at this across the whole spectrum in terms of how black men are treated we talk you know starting off you know you think about george floyd i know for me that was a very changing moment for me in my life where i just like i'm not being quiet anymore i'm going to speak up i'm going to speak out Um, because when you saw eight and a half minutes of a white man having his knee on his neck, that is the way that we have felt in this country for 400 years.
1: And disgusting that a man was murdered, and that murder became the wake-up call, not just for people of color, but for white people, as we saw from the outpouring of support and agreement uh along lines uh, all lines of color crossing lines of color that racial injustice is real and it's got to stop we'll be back right after this with our guest i'm leslie marshall don't go away
0: follow leslie on twitter just go to www.twitter.com slash leslie marshall
1: we are back i'm leslie marshall welcome or welcome back on this friday Uh, Like I said, our guest is Atiba Mudyun. He is the president and CEO of the Mudyun Group, a government relations firm based in our nation's capital, as well as Party Politics US, a data collection firm that not only gathers data from American voters, but also engages with young people to educate them on public policy. His website, once again, is Atiba Madyun? It is a t i b a m a d y u n dot and on Twitter, follow him at that same name. Uh, we are talking about Black History Month and how the pandemic has impact, impacted African American families. And uh, Atiba, thank you uh, for um, uh, Atiba. Excuse me, I'm, at, I'm, I'm making a tube out of Atiba. Uh, Atiba, thank you for holding and welcome back. Um, you know, Black History Month is a time that um, our nation does and should. Uh, celebrate and honor um, African Americans, uh, current and past. Um, and even though it's worth remembering all of the accomplishments of African Americans, um we, you know still as a nation have a long way to go when it comes to uh, you know, racial disparity, uh, you know, being in our rear view mirror. So one of the things I wanted to talk about is the demand for equal protection under the law, because I think there are some people out there. Um, that are ignorant to the fact that you know African Americans don't have full equal protection under the law, or certainly don't feel that they do. Could you speak to that? Thank you.
3: Sure, sure, thank you. You know, I, what you just asked kind of takes me back to a couple of things. One, having a great-great-grandfather who I'm learning more about right now, uh, William Pascal Russell, who was a slave. And he, at 23 years old, he became free, and he and my great-great-grandmother, Isabella Russell he wasn't supposed to learn how to read but his masters or his enslavers children took a liking to him now some of us think it could be because they were half brothers or cousins or somehow related but he they taught him how to read and that became very useful to him after slavery um, he was a very progressive member of his community in Carolina, North Carolina. he was part of, and there's a plaque in front of our home in North Carolina that shows that he and several, many I uh, think it was seven others, built the first Episcopal church for African Americans in the state of North Carolina before they were actually considered Episcopalian. Now, why is that relevant to this equal protection under the law piece? Here they were built this church but they were not allowed to preside or be the efficient of the of the church. A white person had to come in and be that mm. because the Episcopal church did not allow them to do that. Wow. But my great grandfather, my great uncle, Odell Harris, spent a lot of time with his grandfather. And as a result, he ended up going on and becoming an Episcopal priest. And he ended up fighting for to get the first playground, black playground in the city of Petersburg, Virginia, the first black hospital in the city of Petersburg, Virginia. Because he had to fight because there was not equal justice, there was not equality under the law. And he attributes a lot of these things back to my great-great-grandfather. Now, to make this put this all in perspective, I my uncles, my great uncle Odell, which was my grandfather's brother, my paternal on the paternal side, his sister, his youngest sister, still living today, 101 years old, which means that her grandfather, William Pascal Russell, and his wife, Isabella Russell, her grandparents were enslaved. And so when people think that there's like this yeah. long time period of slavery, no, it's not. And her sister lived to be 104. And President Obama wrote a letter to her wishing her, 100, her happy 100th birthday. To watch her read that, and to and to look at us and say, I never thought in my lifetime that one, I would live to be a hundred, let alone to see this, yeah. a black man as president, says a lot. To say that no, there has not been equal justice under law. There have been different things that have allowed us to see some things come about that make us feel that it's it's possible, but it's it's not there. And so that's the reason why we have still so many court cases and why we get just you know disillusion or. Uh, disappointed oftentimes when certain things come down because we still don't have we're not that far removed from um, someone having to drink from a whites only water fountain but then when we look at our school systems we can still see that they're because based off of zip codes that people are still not getting the same education as someone who lives in a more economically well, well the other
1: day, uh, the day on facebook they posted um it was just this many years ago that a little girl you know, an African-American girl entered, you know, a white classroom. And you're so right. I think people think like, oh, that was a long time ago or like slavery a long time ago. No, because there are, I mean, obviously, you know, millions of of descendants of slaves in this country, but people that aren't that, you know, far removed. Years ago, when I worked in Chicago on talk radio at a station called WLS, uh, it was more of a call in show as opposed to a, you know, interview style show that I do now. And I, I'll never forget this. A man called in and he was like 100 and something and he had been a slave when he was a child. So I've actually talked to someone mm-hmm. that was a slave in, in my lifetime. Now that was years ago and he was over 100 then. He's probably gone you know, home to the Lord now. But uh, it was it, 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 I, I'll, I'll never forget that. Look, I'm talking about this so many years later um, because it was like, he was a slave. You know what I mean? It does, because a lot of us do feel that we are more removed from that in that time than we are, and we shouldn't because we we truly aren't. Uh, The pandemic, uh, COVID-19 and this pandemic have illuminated and revealed uh, even more so, I think, front and center, the systemic racial inequities and vulnerabilities that exist within our society. Um, When we talk about closing some of the racial gaps that exist in this country, I could list a bunch of them. I know a bunch of them. But I'm not sure if all of our listeners and viewers are are aware of some. Could
3: you speak to some of the racial gaps that still exist in our nation? I mean, you know, I think women often talk about being paid seventy five cents on the dollar. Well, you know, income inequality is a huge thing, and it it's a huge thing that keeps people from being able to own a home or to be able to move into a different a better neighborhood or be able to send their kids to a better school. Um, you know, there we I talked about some of the things when we t- talked about health disparities. Um, you know, there, there's also – just today I was reading about um, Paul Goodell, the NFL's commissioner, is saying that he's disappointed that there were only two African-American hires for coaches. Um, they, it, this thing is all – it's all separate throughout the society. Um, so in terms of the equity, which is what I think we really should be saying instead of equality – And, um, you know, it's basically people who are just saying that look like me were just saying, just give us a chance. You know, when you look at Amanda Gorman on, you know, reading of that poem at the inauguration and just all the fanfare. And, you know, she's on the front cover of magazines. She's getting a modeling contract. There are a lot of Amanda Gorman's out there. Yes. They're just waiting to be given a chance. But i think that it's also important that while we still talk about racial inequality that we should also look at something that i think that malcolm x really hinted on and spoke about and that was he said the issue today and this is when he was still alive he passed away in 1965 and he was talking about this then he said the issue today isn't about black and white it's about green so when there's people are cut off from opportunities to make money they're cut off from other opportunities. I mean, we, we can just look yeah. at certain neighborhoods um, all around the country. I see it happening right now in Washington, D.C., when people talk about the term gentrification. You know, with, if rents are raising going up, but then you have a Democrat like Joe Manchin who's saying, no, oh, the, the minimum wage should not in- increase more than $11, he's not only holding back black people, he's also holding back poor, rural, white folks. He's Absolutely. Held, about, uh, Hispanics, he's hurting women. So coal miners versus, in his own coal miners in his, his, his own state.
1: West his Virginia.
3: own state. So these are like really big issues, and they're things that we can really look at from an American side that can help all of our communities. Ab- absolutely. Um, when you look at the past
1: four years, we're we're now in a post, you know, Trump, uh, you know, and, and impeachment. <laughs> um, as the uh, but the Biden administration is trying to launch a new era, promoting peace and, and unity, and we did live through four years of turmoil. Um, d- you know, there are those in the black community that weren't really thrilled with everything Barack Obama did or didn't feel they did enough for the African-American community. Is there more hope now that Joe Biden is president and Donald Trump is no longer?
3: I think there are a couple of things we really have to take note. Barack Obama wasn't able to get a lot of things done because a lot of us didn't go back and vote. We voted in 2008, we didn't go back and vote in 2010 and we didn't go back and vote in 2012, Uh, I mean not 2012, 2014. And I say this because right now it's so important for us to keep our eyes on the prize. We just won a really big election. 81 million people voted against 74 million people in 2020 against Donald Trump. So are we in a post-Trump? We're still feeling the effects of it because we have an impeachment trial coming up this week, next week. But what we also have to do is stay focused about 2022. Joe Biden can do a lot if we send him more people in the Senate and the House. And that is going to mean we have to vote in historic numbers again in the midterms. Only 55% of the American electorate voted in 2016. Donald Trump won. 66% of the American electorate voted in 2020. So what could happen if you look at 2018, it was historic numbers of people that voted in the midterms. Not only did the Democrats send a large number of people to Washington, they sent a lot of women and a lot of people of color. So these things can happen again in 2022, but we've got to stay focused on the prizes that we want to win and stay engaged in the process.
1: Uh, Something, um... oh, I hear music. I think we're done. Sorry, 30 seconds left. Thank you so much for being with us. It's been a pleasure. It's so enjoyable, I didn't realize time was up. Same here, thank Um, you. Atiba Mudyun has been our guest. Please, again, go to his website, atibamudyun.com, A-T-I-B-A-M-A-D-Y-U-N, on Twitter. At Ativa Money. I'm Leslie Marshall. Have a wonderful weekend. Everybody be safe, wear your mask.
2: When we made our new McDonald's spicy chicken McNuggets, you were praise hands emoji. Then we ran out, and you were screaming tears emoji. Now they're back, so you can be grinning face with sweat
0: emoji. Order ahead on the McDonald's app. For a limited time at participating McDonald's.